Hill podcast. We pray you are encouraged by this message. For more info, notes, or other messages, download the Overflow Church app or visit our website at overflowdfw.com. Last week, we talked a lot about fear and anger. We talked about how that, that many, that we've, we've got to be a courageous people, that God wants us to, to overcome our fears, that he wants us to walk into our destiny. We talked a lot about the life of Peter and how Peter was able to overcome some of, some of his fears. And, you know, fear and anger are both really a defense mechanism. Did you know that? Uh, psychologists call this fear or, or fight, right? Flee or fight. And so what happens is when we face opposition or, or things make us uncomfortable or, or we feel threatened in Anyway, our tendency is either to take off, run in the other direction, or to stick our dukes up, right, and get ready to fight. And so that those are our natural tendencies. And I don't know if you've noticed or if you know this, but hurt people hurt people, right? Wounded dogs bite, right? No matter how compassionate you are, if a dog is wounded, he will bite you because he feels threatened. And this is why people in in our culture that we see such such a volatile thing, it's not just because people are hateful and mean-spirited. Usually, usually if people are acting like that, it's because they have deep wounds in their heart. And I think if we can try to be a little bit more understanding, even towards those that are the most volatile, if we can try to be a little more understanding to realize that, man, hurt people hurt people. And if I can realize that, they can, it, it can help me to love my enemies. It can help me to be a little bit more gracious to someone that, that's opposed at me and help me kind of look beyond the thing that I feel threatened by into their heart and say, man, why? What, what is going on here? Why do you feel the need to put your dukes up? So I want to talk today really about the issue of vulnerability, but really to help you go from being hurt to being healed. Come on. I got a little bit of back pain right now in my back. I wish that that wasn't there, right? I want to go from hurt to being healed. I want to be able to function and walk around the way that I need to function. But but it's hard to function at optimal levels if we are walking around hurt, if we're wounded. And the reality is this, is we all experience pain. All of us experience pain. Um, I had a conversation uh, with our oldest, Moriah, on Friday. She's 13. And, you know, as a parent, I said something. I don't even remember what the conversation was about. But I noticed that that she didn't like, I think we were going to go out that night. We had, you know, people coming over. And they, you know, they our kids are kind of homebodies. They just like to like stay in there, you know, they're just, and she's 13. So all, all those kind of crazy things. And so it's, it's good. You just go ahead and stay in there. We're okay with that for, for at least a little while. And so, um, we told them that, you know, we're going to be going out and, and she just, I could tell in her face, she didn't say anything. I could just tell in her face. She just didn't really like the current predicament that she was going to be in. And so I went in and I sat in her room and, you know, she's, she's pretty level-headed and I laid down on her bed and she's sitting over there on, on her desk. And I, I said, I said, baby, I said, part of the reason why that our culture is, is, is kind of sissified and part of the reason why that, that everybody's so easily offended and, we, and people aren't very mentally tough anymore is because they've never had to deal with pain. Part of the reason why we're seeing so much suicide today in the world is because people haven't learned to deal with pain. Depression is on a rise. Why? Because people haven't learned how to deal with pain because all of a sudden a real thing happens to them and they think it's the worst thing in the world when it's not really the worst thing in the world that happened to you. It's just life. And life can be difficult at some, sometimes. And if, and if we're not careful as parents, and, and it, what, what has happened is a generation of people have, have just tried to, you know, we've tr- we tried to 
foam every corner, and we've tried to make it so that our kids don't have to experience any discomfort or any pain. And then what happens is whenever a real difficulty, whenever they get older and they move out of the home and they don't have all these safeguards, what happens is, man, it's like the littlest things affect them in a big way. And so we're seeing this in social media that people are angry. Why? Why? Because people, that's our natural reaction to pain. However, we will all experience pain, and we've got to learn to deal with pain. We've got to learn to process pain, right? And so our, our, our tendency is to bury it or to bear with it, but rarely do we deal with it in a healthy or a helpful way, right? Rarely. I don't know about you. I, I don't get it right, man. Most of the time when, I'm, when I feel pain, usually I'm, I'm a fighter at that point. I, I'm not a flighter. I, I mean, I'm like, okay. You know, I get angry and my anger rises up. Why? Because I don't want to hurt anymore or I've got hurt. And whenever you do that, it touches the hurt inside of me. Are you tracking? And so we all experience pain and how we deal with it is, is critical. So what we have in our culture, in our, in our society and with technology and all these things is we have all these coping mechanisms, right? To help us so we don't have to face the pain. So we don't have to process pain. So you can go to a doctor and you get a, a prescription, right? You can go get, you can get on Netflix and you can get a subscription, right? All these things to kind of numb you. Why? So you don't have to deal with the pain that's in your life. And then what happens when there's a pain that can't be unavoided, it hits you like a truck. And it might not be, it is a big deal to you and God cares about that, but it really might not be that big of a deal. It's just that you just don't know how to process pain. You haven't learned how to deal with anything difficult or even uncomfortable in your life. And so what we do is we have, you know, medications, and I'm not slamming the medical industry, but it could use some slamming. Um, but, but, you know, we medicate everything. We, we, people are you know, saturate themselves in drugs or alcohol or food, overeating. I don't know, but I mean, that's a struggle I have, man. When I feel discouraged, what do I want to do? I want to go get a big old burger and some fries and I want to pig out because I want to feel good for a little bit, right? So we, because we, we know when we do that, we have that dopamine and that, and that uh, serotonin that's released in our body when we eat like that or we post something on social media, you know, if I need to feel better about myself, I can just post a picture of some of my kids and I'll get like 4,000 likes, you know, if I try to say something significant, It'll get like four. And I'm like, oh, I need a burger, right? And so we deal with this pain and we, you know what I'm saying? And so the reality is, is we have all these coping mechanisms, right? And let me just say this, that any time that we trust anything more than Jesus, we've created an idol. That can be a relationship. That can be a substance. Come on, that can be a little screen that you hold in your hand. Josh Brown. And what do we do? We just drown ourselves in these things that make us feel either numb or just a little bit better in order to cope. What a terrible word. Cope. Can you just cope? I'm just taking this so I can cope, so I can make it through the day. Good Lord. We need something better than cope, we need hope. We need to make the switch from coping to hoping. Don't cope. Hope. Check out what uh, Paul says about pain in Romans chapter 5. He says, we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. Yes. Yes. Not only so, but we also rejoice in our suffering. We also rejoice in our pain. Now, if you want to know what real pain is, do some studying on the early Christian church on what kind of pain they were suffering, 
way more than what we're dealing with now. But he was saying this, that we can rejoice in our pain, our suffering, because we know that our pain produces perseverance. Perseverance produces character, and character produces hope. Did you know that part of the reason why people don't have hope in their lives is because they don't have any character in their lives? And they don't have any character in their lives because they've never stayed in the pocket of perseverance in their lives. And they've never persevered because every time pain came, they just sought comfort. But if you will endure, you will have hope. You will discover hope. And hope does not disappoint us. Because that feeling you get from that burger will disappoint you later. I know tomorrow if I eat like a 3,000 calorie meal, I will feel it tomorrow. And I will go, it really wasn't that good. It was good, but it wasn't that good. You wake up from a not binging on alcohol and drunk, going home, forgetting who you is. You wake up, not feeling so great anymore. But hope doesn't disappoint. Your coping mechanisms will always disappoint you because they will only deal with the moment. Mm. But hope deals with eternity. And hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. So you don't have hope because everything's going good. You have hope because you have him. You say, I just don't have any hope in my life. You need more of him in your life. You don't need a better scenario. You don't need a boyfriend or a girlfriend or a husband or wife or more children. You need more of him. Another temptation that we have, another coping mechanism that we have is this idea of being independent, right? I have some people very close to me that are very independent. They say, I'm a survivor, right? Have you ever heard that? Some of y'all have probably made that statement before. I'm a survivor, It's difficult, it's hard, but I'll survive. I'm a survivor, right? And I'll make sure that those things that happen to me will never happen again because I'm a survivor. And we puff up our chest. We walk around, we talk about how tough we are and how we don't let anybody in. And girl, look at me. I'm so tough. No, you're just coping. You are just surviving. But God has more for you than just to survive. He wants you to thrive. You need to make the switch from surviving to thriving. And you don't thrive by living day to day. You you thrive by living from glory to glory. And that's where Jesus wants to bring you. He wants to bring you into a revelation of who he is and of the hope that you have in him. He wants you to live there. And the pain actually produces in your life. Versus reducing you to somebody that you're not. Really what that is, that survivor mentality, really what it is is bitterness. Never let that happen again to me. Now listen, beloved. Do we need to be tough? In some senses, yes. But we've got to learn to be tough and tender. It's like a good juicy steak. You overcook that steak, that's going to just be tough. What you want is you want to... A steak that's about medium rare, that's tough but tender, baby. It's still got some. It's still got some life in it. You know what I'm saying? It's like a. It's getting close to lunchtime. You got to learn to be tough and tender. You need to be resilient. 
But the reason why you're resilient is because your hope is set in Him. It's not because you are self-sustaining. It's not because you're self-sufficient. It's not because you are self-preserving. What a stupid statement that is. Independent statement, self-preserving. Did you know that self-preservation does the opposite of what it implies? doesn't preserve anything. The only thing it preserves is your pride. The only thing that it does, it, it, it defeats itself because you can't take care of yourself. And this me mentality is destroying our ability to connect with one another. See, the way of life, the way that Jesus put it is this, deny yourself, take up your cross and follow me. Not improve yourself. You want to improve yourself? Deny yourself. That's God's method of self-improvement. Doesn't God want me to be happy? God wants you to be holy. Happiness will come. In fact, he wants you to have something greater than happiness. He wants you to have hope. He wants you to have joy. That's way greater than happiness because happiness is, is, is based upon the happenings of your life. He wants you to be deeper than that. Come on. And so in order to live there, you've got to learn to function at a healed level. So we need to exit surviving to thriving. Amen? Even in the midst of heartache, pain, disappointment, we can thrive in the midst of it. We can still have hope. Things can be produced in our life. I want to share with you guys a story about a guy named Naaman. It's in 1 Kings chapter 5. Now, the reason why I like the story of Naaman is because I can really relate to Naaman. See, Naaman, it says this, the king of Aram had a great admiration. In fact, everybody admired Naaman. For Naaman, the commander of his army, because through the Lord had given Aram great victories. In other words, he is the leader of an army, and they, all they do is win, win, win. But though Naaman was a mighty warrior, here it is, he suffered leprosy. So he, he was awesome. He was recognized. He was mighty. He was powerful. He was competent. And that's where I would say I really pride myself in being competent. I can get it done. Da, 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 da. But he had leprosy. But he had an issue Beneath the royal robes of acceptance, beneath the armor, he had leprosy. At this time, the Aramean raiders had invaded the land of Israel, and among their captives was a young girl who had been given to Naaman, Naaman's wife, as a maid. And one day, the girl said to her mistress, I wish the master, my master, would go and see the prophet in Samaria, and he would heal him of his leprosy. Now, here's this young girl that they took into their family. She was kind of a spoil of war. I know that that sounds terrible, and it is. But apparently, she had become loved by Naaman and his wife, and she was working in their home. And she wanted good for her master, her boss, if you will, which is probably a little bit more appropriate in our understanding. So here she is living in Naaman's house, living in this royal house. She's got it pretty good. And she sees her master suffering. And she said, I wish that we would go visit this prophet named Elisha that I know about 
Because Elisha could probably deal with the issue that Naaman is facing. He can probably deal with the leprosy. And and the story goes that Naaman ends up going to the king and he says, listen, I've heard about this prophet in Israel named Elisha that will heal me if I go to him. His God will heal me. So he tells his king to write a letter to the king of Israel and to go and take Hundred and uh, I'm sorry, 750 pounds of silver and 150 pounds of gold and a bunch of clothing and this letter to the king. So here they go. They go now. Understand something that this is the lot of hardware. 750 pounds of silver, 150 pounds of gold, and all these clothing. So here they come with chariots because that's how he rolled. That's how Naaman rolled. Come on, he had his posse with him. He had his crew, their crews, and they got all the gold. They're showing up at the king. Now, I don't know why they went to the king instead of going to the prophets. They thought their status could get them somewhere. So they show up at the king and they say, we hear that God heals leprosy, that there's a prophet here. And they present the gold and the letter to the king, the the silver to the king, and the king throws a fit. He's like, what? Who am I? Who am I, God, that I can speak some word over you and you be healed of their leprosy? They never mentioned the prophet, which is what the young girl said. And the king tears his robe. And when that happens, Scripture tells us that Elisha was watching. And he sees what's going on. And he says, send Naaman and his posse to my house. Send them over here. It says in verse 9, so Naaman went with his horses and chariots and waited at the door of Elisha's house. But Elisha sent a messenger. Well, that's not very nice. I mean, here's this important guy showing up, and you send a messenger. But Elisha sent a messenger out to him with this message. Go and wash yourself seven times in the Jordan River. Then you will be restored and you will be healed of your leprosy. Easy prescription. You want to get healed? Go dip yourself in the river. That's all. But Naaman became angry. But Naaman became angry and and stalked away, I thought he certainly would come out to meet me. Doesn't he know who I am? I expected him to wave his hand over the leprosy and call the name of the Lord his God and heal me. Aren't the rivers in Damascus, the Abana, and the Farpa better than any of the rivers in Israel? Why shouldn't I wash in them and be healed? So Naaman turned and went away in a rage. Whatever that looks like. That could do that. I don't think you want to see it. But his <laughs> slamming doors, chariot doors. But his officers tried to reason with him. Whoa, whoa, bro. Whoa. You're being a little extra, Naaman. But his officers tried to reason with him and said, Sir. If the prophet had told you to do something very difficult, wouldn't you have done it? You should certainly obey him when he says simply, go and wash and be cured. So Naaman went down to the Jordan River and dipped himself seven times as the man of God instructed him. And his skin became as healthy as the skin of a young child's. And he was healed. And he was healed. 
I love the story of Naaman because he is a man that went from being hurt to being healed. From hurt to wholeness. How do we get there? Because I think if we're honest in this room, there's a lot of pain in the room. There's a lot of hurt in the room. So if we're going to deal with the pain, how do we get healed? Number one, you got to admit you got issues. I've got issues, right? You've got them too. Or is that the right word? Yeah, that's it. Admit you got issues. See, we've got a problem here. Everybody say that. Say, we got a problem here. Come on, if you're honest in the room. We've got a problem here. We got a problem here. See, what's funny is everybody else knows normally when we have a problem, we're the last one to know. Because <laughs> we don't want to admit our issues. We've got a problem here. Romans chapter 12, verse 3 says this For by the grace given to me, I say that every one of you, don't think of yourself more highly than you ought. Now listen, I'm all about the good confession. You know that. We, we make declarations over our finances every single week. We believe in talking about, man, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I am the head and not the tail. I'm above and not beneath. Man, I am all about the positive confession. Yes, yes, yes. And you need to do that. But you also need to be objective about who you are and where you're at. You know who you are. That's what you're declaring. But where are you at? Where are you at with your pain? Do you have a problem? I would suggest that we all have a problem. I would suggest that we all have a little pain. Are we processing the pain? Are we willing to admit it? Because it says here, but rather think of yourself with sober judgment. That means think clearly about your life. Don't be defensive. Look and go, do I do that? Instead of going, I don't do that, go, I do that. Why do I do that? Think of yourself. Don't think of yourself more highly than you are, but think of yourself with sober judgment in accordance with the measure of faith that God has given you. So you make the faith declaration, I am a child of God, the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. I'm the beloved of God. Yes, by faith you say those things. But also by faith you go, and I got leprosy. Because if you're not willing to admit your issues, you will never get healed of them. See, everybody hurts. Man, y'all get a lot of singing today. God, you came out of Roger. Sometimes you hurt, I hurt, we all have hurt. And when people do things and remind us of that hurt, when they point that finger there and it touches that weak spot, we go, ah. Listen, everybody hurts. So by admitting your pain, you're not being insecure. You're being self-aware. And some of you need to make that switch because insecurity does this. I'm hurt, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. Everybody, hey, everybody, I'm hurt. I'm hurt, I'm hurt, I'm hurt. I'm hurt, everybody, everybody, see, I'm hurt. That's insecurity. Don't call that vulnerability. Vulnerability is when you're sitting across the table in faith and you go, man, listen. 
I was abused when I was four years old. That's vulnerability. So be self-aware. Admit it. Admit you got issues. Number two, talk to somebody. Talk to somebody. Now, don't talk to everybody. That's foolish. Don't go, don't go putting your business out on the streets. Come on, people get on Facebook. Oh, my life. I'm like, whoa, bro. Unfollow. <laughs> drama, 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 drama. Drama Dan. All right. I'm just kidding. I don't. I do that sometimes. I do. Just being real. Just being real. So, because I'm about to preach on that here in a minute. So, listen, this is the survivor's mantra. I don't need anybody. I know people very close to me that are survivors. And you know what ends up happening? They end up the rest of their lives alone because they didn't need anybody. Because everybody needs to be needed. You need to be needed. I need to be needed. We're needy. God made you needy. First of all, he made you needy of him. And then he made you needy of other beloved Christians. You need other Christians in your life. That's why we're called the body of Christ. We're not an ear and go, I can't stand that eyeball. All he can do is see, but he can't hear for nothing. We do it all the time. I'm a survivor. I don't need anybody else. You do need somebody else. Who's going to show you the way? Who's going to help you get there? I don't need anybody. I know people that have 50 years, they've been saying that. And guess what? They don't got anybody. They've got like one or two people that are ultra close to them and everybody else is real far away. And all they ever do is complain about everybody. That's all they ever do. Why? Because they don't need anybody and they're miserable because your life is enriched by the people that are in it. And if all you ever do is exclude somebody because they don't tickle your fancy, then you're going to be alone because guess what? You're a problem too. And you need people to help you with your problems. And guess what? You need to help people with theirs. Can you imagine Jesus? We talked about Peter last week. Could you imagine Jesus going, Peter, you're just toxic. I mean, I deleted you on Facebook six weeks ago. Right after I called you Satan, I deleted you from Facebook. And you're going to deny me three times, and then, then it's done. We're done. So, you know all that stuff I said? Forget about it. Forget about it. Forget about it. We're done. You're toxic. Jesus came and died for toxic people. Jesus laid his life down for people that benefited him nothing. I tell you, I'm so sick of seeing little highlight reel preacher videos. I, I love the church. I love pastors. You'll never hear me call a name out. Never. But I'm so tired of seeing these, these upbeat messages talking about getting rid of the people in your life that cause you not to feel good. Part of the reason why you're in the state you are is because you've excluded everybody that didn't make you feel good. Because they haven't met your little happy agendas. Listen, sometimes God is going to use those people that make you uncomfortable to deal with the root issues in your life. You better start embracing the people that God brings in your life. If somebody needs to get rid of them, let God get rid of them. Quit being so self-centered. Holy cow. Whew, got some hurt in there. 
I'm taking my armor off. <laughs> Listen, you need to have a circle of friends, a tight circle. But sometimes if you can't get over the issues, then what you need to do is you need to open that circle up and let the right people in. Some of you have been stuck in the wilderness for decades because you don't have the right people in your life. Because you're a survivor. You're going to have to open up. You're going to have to develop some relationships, get in some community, and let the right people in. And they're not just the people that you benefit from. They will benefit from you. Because sometimes the answer we seek, the answers we seek are hidden in the lives of those that God has placed around us. So sometimes you're praying, Lord, send it. Lord, send it. Lord, send it. And he said, I sent it. You were having coffee with them on Tuesday. They had the answer. But you were so caught up in having answers, you didn't get the answer that I had for you. You're just caught up telling them how much you know and how awesome you are and how good your life is. And God, I sent the gift to you right there, but you didn't get the answers you're seeking. Most of the answers you need are in the relationship of the people that you're in life with. I'm not talking about gossip. The difference between, listen, the, the, the difference between gossiping and sharing your heart is that whenever you talk to somebody, your agenda is to restore to the person that has offended you. If your heart is to expose or talk about how wicked or warn people of how bad that person is, you're in the wrong spirit. You're sinning. It's called gossip. God hates it. Read the Bible. He hates gossip. He hates when we gossip about people that are doing bad things. I mean, it's justifiable for me to talk about what they're doing is bad. Yeah, it is absolutely bad. But if the point of you talking about it isn't to reconcile that person to you and to Jesus, then you are sinning. You are gossiping. But we do get hurt by people, and we should have conversations and people to work in our relationships. So I ask you, when I say talk to somebody, who in your life can speak into it? Who do you have in your life that can speak into your life and you not get offended? You not get angry? You not get wounded? It might hurt just a little bit. Proverbs says this, faithful were the wounds of a friend. (laughs) Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Who do you have in your life that can tell you no? Married couples. Who in your life can tell you no besides one another? Married couples. Can your spouse tell you no? They better be able to. I'm talking about boys and girls, both. Yes. My wife needs to be able to tell me no. I need to be able to tell her no. I don't ever tell her no. <laughs> two, two words, two words. Successful marriage, y'all know what they are? Yes, ma'am. That's the two most successful words in marriage. All right. There you go. That's all I got for marriage teaching this morning. Who can speak into your life? Who can tell you no? Who do you have in your life right now that can tell you no? Who do you have in your life that is speaking into your life? Beloved, if you say, I don't have anybody, then I am scared for you. Because it's risky to talk to somebody, isn't it? I mean, can you imagine Naaman? I mean, this guy had like it all. He's like in with the king. He's got his own army. He's got his own entourage. I mean, he's got tons of money. Everything's good at his house. Married to a loving wife and even a, a girl that they brought in kind of as a slave who's now cares for them that they probably brought in like a daughter. I mean, things are going well for Naaman. 
He's winning all these battles. He's like celebrity status. Because you know what happens to lepers in the Old Testament? They're outcast. They're thrown out of the city and they have to live with other lepers. So by him confessing the fact that he has leprosy, he's risking his reputation. But how many know the people that were already closest to him already knew? They already knew. Isn't it funny? I I tell Leslie things. We have heart-to-hearts. And she's like, already knew. I know. I'm like, well, I haven't told you yet. Well, how do you know? Well, because we live together. Because we do life together. Most of the time, I'm not t- most of the time, I'm telling her not for her sake, but for my sake, because I need to talk to somebody. It's risky. See, Naaman had to come clean if he is going to get clean. You're going to have to come clean if you want to get clean. If you want to get healed, you're going to have to come clean. It's risky, I know. It's scary, I know. It's humbling, I know. But it's worth it because you get healed. James five sixteen says, "Confess your sins." to each other, and pray for each other so that you may be healed. We love the part about praying for each other that we get healed. What about the confessing sins? You know what that's talking about? That's talking about authenticity in relationships. It's talking about being transparent with one another. The prayers of the righteous man are powerful and effective. Community, relationships, talk to somebody. Confess your sins to somebody. I've been struggling with this for 15 years. You know why you struggled with it for 15 years? Because it's taken you 15 years to talk about it. Sit down, have a cup of coffee, get up early one morning a month and go have coffee, coffee with somebody and tell them how screwed up you really are. And watch God begin to draw straight lines with that crooked stick. Number three, humble yourself. We've got to flip the switch from haughty to humble. See, this was Naaman's big issue. Bigger than the leprosy was his pride. Because it almost cost him his healing. See, it had to be difficult for Naaman, submitting to the advice of a servant, then being rejected by a king, a prophet not even coming out to see him. I mean, how humiliating. See, sometimes the difficult thing is 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 the necessary thing to position us for the healing thing. Let me say that again. Sometimes the difficult thing is the necessary thing to position us for the healing thing. 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 5, all of you clothe yourself with humility towards one another. Clothe yourself with humility. Put it on. God opposes the proud. There's not anything else in Scripture that I can find that, that opposes God in the New Testament. Nothing I see except for right here. God opposes the proud, beloved. God doesn't just oppose pride. He opposes the proud. That's scary. I never want to be opposed to God. I never, never want to be on that, on that side. But if I'm prideful, if it's my way or the highway, if I'm boastful, I'm opposing God. God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. See, this whole time, God is trying to humble Naaman. Humble yourself, therefore, under God's mighty hand, that he may lift you up in due time. See, humility is a switch that we can make or the Lord can make for us. 
Can I give you some advice this morning? It's better for you to make the switch. Because I've had the Lord humble me before. He still does from time to time because I need it. And I'm glad he does because as by his grace, he does it because he wants, he wants to exalt me to the next level, but he knows I got to get humble first. And so sometimes if I'm not flipping the humility switch, he'll flip it for me. He'll do it. So flip it before he has to. Amen. And one of the ways that we, that we are egotistical and prideful is sometimes we, we do it with spiritual pride, right? We're like, oh, I don't deal with that anymore. I don't have any issues. I've done X, Y, Z this week. I don't really have anything that I'm going through. Really? Get closer to the fire. God will ask the Lord to search your heart. Because sometimes that's said out of the spirit of pride. You know, we, uh, we talk about sometimes that when someone, we think humility is false humility, right? Someone comes to you and says, man, Pastor Leslie, that was so good today. Worship was good. You're singing so good. And we go, oh, God bless you. It was all Jesus. And we think that's being humble. When actually that's really being prideful because it really wasn't all Jesus. Come on. First of all, it doesn't need to be all Jesus because he partners with us. So it's okay to receive honor. It's wrong to keep it. That's why the scriptures say honor one another. Well, if we weren't meant to receive honor, then we should never be commissioned to give it. So God wants us to receive honor. When you do well, you should get high fives. Thank you for surrendering your heart to the Lord. Oh, man, that's what I'm going for. I'm aiming at that. I'm trying, trying to just be more like Jesus. And what I'm doing is just trying. I worked real hard today. That's good. But don't be all like super spiritual. Bill Johnson shares a story. Someone was singing. They were like, they're, he's like, oh, man, that was so good. They were like, it's all Jesus. He said, well, it wasn't that good. <laughs> Flip that switch. So just think, don't think just because you put the language on it that that makes you humble. Don't think it makes you humble because you get up and go, oh, we see all this without athletes. I just, first of all, I just want to give glory to God. I worked so hard for this, you know, my teammates and blah, 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 blah. And, you know, for the last, I did, I did, I did, I did. But we think that they gave glory to God and they were humble because at the beginning they said, well, because God did. Because God, oh, thank God. Thank God for what? Exalting you? You really think that that's what he's into? You really think that he's in, into you making a name for yourself? Really? I think God is, God is into making a name for himself. Who is getting the attention? Because what happens is when I receive honor, now I have something when I come before the Lord that I can give him. And go, Lord, you see that I have leprosy. And I did give it all today, all for your glory, Lord, but just a leper. Do you see? Do you see how the switch is made? So humble yourself. There's nothing wrong with receiving honor. We should. The problem is keeping it. Number four, yield. Everybody say yield. So humility is proving, proven through yielding. Humility is proved by saying, I don't have the right of way. Right? It's like I drive, there's this exit close to our house, off I-20, when you get on um, Lake Ridge. And there's a sign. Says yield. And people don't yield. That yield sign's for me. I'm getting on. You're supposed to yield. Do they ever yield? They don't ever yield. So I have to do the yielding. I have to do the submitting. Should I have to? No. But if I don't, it's going to be a problem. 
But really, I should be on the other side, yielding to God. Am I yielding? Am I allowing him to guide my path? Am I allowing him to tell me which way to go? Y'all okay today? So humility is proof through yielding. It's easy to say you're submitted to God, but do you submit when he asks of you something you don't want to do? I want you to stop doing that. Oh, man, I, I love you. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is my Savior. Are you submitted? Well, just work in progress. It's great. Why are you bragging about the things that you're doing that don't glorify the Lord then? If you're a work in progress, why are you justifying the things in your life instead of maintaining a tender heart? So humility is proved through yielding, and submission is proved or proven by when we do what we don't want to do. <laughs> right? I don't want to give that man $5. The Holy Spirit's like, you need to give that man $5. But if I give him $5, I won't have that $5 anymore. Yeah, are you yielded? I know I need to keep my mouth shut, but what they said wasn't right. But the Holy Spirit's like, I gave you one mouth and two ears. I know you got two hands and you can talk that way now, but we're not talking. We're talking, I gave you two ears. Are you listening? Will you keep your mouth shut? Because I get that one, right? Shut up, Josh. Don't say anything. (laughs) Whoops. Listen, you may have gotten here on your terms, but you get there on his. You may have gotten here on your terms. You may still be sick on your terms, but you're going to get there. You're going to get healed on his terms. You're going to get healed on his terms. See, your comfort won't heal you. Your better way or better method won't heal you. No amount of money, Naaman, will heal you. No amount of muscle, Naaman, no amount of skill or might or education will heal you. None of that will heal you, Naaman. You need to be yielded to the Spirit of God. Zechariah 4, 6, not by might nor by power, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It's not going to be because you're skilled. It's not going to be because you're educated. It's not going to be because you have all the right people in your life. It's going to be because you're yielded to the Spirit of God, and he will make the people right in your life. He will give you the skill you need. He will give you the power you need if you are yielded. If he came to you and said, you know what, today, this morning, On February 3rd, I'm going to set you free from that addiction that you've had for 10 years. If he said that and he said, but this is how I'm going to do it. I want you to do jumping jacks the whole time during worship. Jumping jacks. And you go, well, I would look foolish. God, you're sovereign. Do it however you want until he asks you to do something you don't want to do. That might make you look stupid. Because maybe he's trying to deal with something deeper in your heart than your pain. Maybe he's wanting to get to the root Maybe he's wanting to get to your pride. And it's not to harm you, it's to heal you. And so if the Lord came and he said something for you to do something foolish, would you do something foolish to get healed? Or you talk too caught up in your pride? Surely there's a better river. We have better rivers. I'll just go dip in that one. It won't work. Just wave your hand. It won't work. See, the the, the fact of the matter is, is Jesus didn't always heal the same way. Sometimes he spoke a word. Sometimes he laid a hand. Sometimes he made mud out of his spit and rubbed it on people's eyes. Jesus never healed the same way. Very rarely. Sometimes it's somebody come up and touching Jesus. Sometimes it was Jesus touching somebody else. It's always different. 
But we like to make these little methods and think they're going to work every time. So we, go, so we pay a guy a bunch of money to go in so he can give us some medication that numbs us. And we never get healed. We just cope. Don't have a problem with any of that. I've paid a man to talk to you before. And if he gave me this prescription, I would take it. But all I would be doing is coping. And God wants me healed. And in order to get healed, number five, this is the last point, is you got to take your armor off. See, the thing with Naaman is he shows up at the Jordan that day. He don't leave his armor on. You can't take a bath in the Jordan with your armor on. You can't take a bath in the Jordan with your kingly garb on. you got to strip down naked to bathe. When was the last time whew, you just stripped down and said, Lord, Search through the crevices of my heart. Search through the caverns, the deep places, the early memories. Listen, I had this moment on Mother's Day this past year, and I was talking about how I grew up. And I just had this thing where I like being alone. I just like to get away from people. I love to be around people. But there's this part of me that just wants to be isolated, to get off by myself all the time. And I started talking to Leslie about that. I was like, I don't know why that's such a need in my life. I said, you know, when I was a little boy, I used to play by myself for hours and hours because my mom was out working. Praise God, she was working for us boys. My older brother was supposed to take care of me, and he didn't. He'd go run off with his friends, and there I was, just eight-year-old kid, just playing by myself for hours and hours. And I developed these patterns in my life. And I'm telling Leslie, I'm all weeping. There's like something on TV. We're not even watching it. We're just zoning. I'm bawling. I was like, what was happening? I was taking my armor off. I said, you know, it doesn't matter what the coping mechanism is. It's just, it's just allowing the Lord to come in and deal with the thing. See, the armor comes in, in, a, in different ways. It comes as victimhood. Well, the way I was raised... Entitlement, pride, justifiable fear, anger, pride, all these things, what are they? They're just armor. They're defense mechanisms to keep, any, to keep anybody from getting to the places where we're vulnerable. See, it was important for Naaman to be stripped down completely. If you continually justify your armor, listen, if you continually justify your armor, your defense mechanisms, if you continually justify them, you will never get healed. You can, what ain't revealed, don't get healed. If it ain't revealed, it don't get healed. And talk about courage. Talk about bravery. The greatest battle that Naaman ever fought wasn't on the front lines when he is defeating armies. It's when he walked up to that river and said, you know what? I got to come in this river and I've got to take off all my armor. I got to take off all my royal garb and let everybody see what kind of condition I'm really in. Let them see me naked and let them see me in pain. Let them see my hurt. Let them see my wounds. They'll all see it. But that's what's important for me to get healed. That's what it's going to take. See, the, you, you could talk about, we could talk about courage all day long. And what we've done is we've said, you know what? You're courageous if you don't reveal those things wrong. It takes way more courage to show where we're vulnerable and say, I am unprotected right now. 
The greatest expression of courage is vulnerability. No weapons, no armor, stripped down, just trusting in the midst of the ridiculous and the uncertain. I'm pretty sure it'll work, but it might not, but I'm willing to risk it. Listen, I know you're strong. I know you're strong. I know you're smart. I know you're educated. Listen, I know, I know you are. I know you're frustrated. I know you're, you're passionate about things. I, I, know, I, know, I know what you do. But why? Why are you frustrated? Well, because it's wrong. Why does it feel so wrong to you? Why does it bother you so much? What's beneath the armor? What's beneath your armor? Beloved, are you willing to take off the armor? You can't, listen, you can't be authentic with a clenched fist. I'm just being real. No, you're not. Put your fist down. Take your armor off. Let's have a conversation. Let's get in the river together. The the Jordan, the Jordan River is the same river that Jesus got baptized when he crossed into his full-time ministry. The River Jordan is where the children of Israel crossed to move into their promised land. Listen, God has a promised land for you. But you got to go through the Jordan. And in order to get into this Jordan called healing, we've got to be stripped down completely of our armor, all of our defenses, all of our pride, and just say, you know what, Lord, I commit to your process. And it says he did it seven times, seven times, the number of perfection, the number of completion, seven times. And it says he came out like a baby. His skin was like a baby's skin, a soft little baby's skin.